Hello. This is the third podcast in the Art and Landscape series. The first speaker is Ian Thompson, who chaired the Landscape Matters debate on 15th June 2021. Okay, thank you, Brody. So I should explain we've had a... Um, we've done some preparation for this bit in that um, all of the speakers have uh, suggested questions... Um, and we've done a little bit of sifting and organising of those questions, and we've come up with uh, four themes for this section. Um, the first concerns um, definitions, really, um, ontological questions, I suppose, about what you know, what is art, what is environmental art, what is landscape architecture. There's a danger that could take over completely, and we could spend the whole 40 minutes talking about that, so I'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, the, the second theme is really about where we are now, um, what is happening in environmental art today. The third theme is the, about the influence of environmental art on landscape practice, landscape architectural practice. Um, and then the final theme is about education. Um, so that will, that's the overall structure. Um, and I'm just going to um, ask the questions and um, and invite responses from that. I, I thought a possible starting point, actually, um, you all know the, the Jellicoe tow rope theory. Um, this is this is uh, Jeffrey Jellicoe's idea that um, artists are the pathfinders and that landscape architects, or uh, landscape designers, sort of follow in their in their train. Um, and it's easier for artists to, to experiment than it is for landscape architects because landscapes take such a long time to build and grow. And he argued that uh, in the 18th century, this relationship was very close. And then in the 19th century, everything went wrong because, um, well, other interests involved like horticulture and um, plant display, we've got the gardenesque and things like that. And uh, Jellicoe rather looked down his nose at that sort of thing. And then um, along came modernism to the rescue and um, landscape architecture followed closely upon uh, modern art and that was its salvation in the 20th century, according to Jellicoe. Um, and you could perhaps say that this continues uh, with the phase we're in now, um, that environmental artists are doing the experimenting and uh, landscape architects are again following in their train. I only throw that out as, as a hypothesis. You can you can tear it to shreds if you want. Um, anyway, so the first question really is, is, you know, what is the difference between landscape architecture and environmental art? Um, one of our correspondents pointed out that um, you can have you can have a work. Um, Walter de Maria's Lightning Field was the example um, that if you were neither a landscape architect nor a, a, an environment environmental artist, and you were taken to see this work, and you were asked who who produced it, it would be impossible to say who it was. You know which which profession produced it, which discipline produced it. So 
there's the question, the first question. What's the difference between the two things? Uh, and I invite responses. How, how are we going to respond? I don't think, well, I don't really I... have a protocol for this. I think you just jump in. Oh, shall I jump in? Mm. Oh, I've jumped in. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm, I'm Scott Farlow. Um, Brody very kindly um, described some of my work. Um, I've, I'm also, I've also previously taught on the landscape architecture program at the University of Gloucestershire. I'm a landscape architect by background, but I've always um, felt that I am an artist and a poet. And so um, I've now been working for myself as an artist and a poet, a socially engaged artist for um, 14 years now, goodness. Um, and uh, sort of weaving together my practice with teaching and uh, research and a lot of my work's about collaboration. Uh, so anyway, um, th this is a fascinating question and, you know, it, we kind of struggle with definitions, but maybe we could look at distinctions. And one of the things I've been thinking about is the idea of intentionality, you know, the idea of, you know, the intentionality of purpose and in the sense that art practice is about, for many, is about the idea, it's about the process, um, functionality or otherwise. And perhaps in terms of environmental and ecological art, it's about the message the sense of how we convey messages and also how they're received. And it's kind of like a, 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 a meeting point. And I was thinking, in a sense, landscape architects do explore environmental issues through their practice. And, and, and but I think a lot of their work is implied. Perhaps there's a sort of hiddenness to, to, to landscape architecture in relation to environmental issues and climate change. Whereas with art practice, perhaps it's more about the expression. It's more often overt, perhaps in your face. And, and in a way, art perhaps draws attention to issues and draws in an audience. And in so doing, perhaps there's a sort of conversation or some sort of reawakening. Uh, as Thomas Saracino says, you know, his work's about an amplification of notions and emotions and the idea of reattuning to other species more than other species and more than human ways of inhabiting our shared planet. Um, and as Agnes Dean said, and Brody mentioned Agnes Dean's earlier, um, art is about digging deep. Uh, and in the digging, there's a revealing um, so, anyway, uh, I could say loads. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> someone would like to uh, share their thoughts. There's a kind of polemical side to art, perhaps, which I don't think landscape architects make very good polemicists. No. Um, is, that An is that Andrew Stonia? Yeah. Stonia. Um, you, you say, it says Linda, so that's a bit... bit <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm on my wife's address. Um, I don't think we get very far with making distinctions about what land art is, what environmental art is. You know, I, I was, I, I did architecture at the AA and I did seven years 
training to be a sculptor. Through that time, we've had environmental art, we've had happenings, we've had installations. And um, I think one gets fed up with it. It's a bit like the Impressionists being called the Impressionists, and none of the Impressionists want to be called Impressionists. I've not met many so-called land artists who want to be called land artists. Um, I don't think land art is something that has suddenly arisen. Um, and I, you know, a care for the environment in terms of art is not something that is suddenly that has suddenly arisen. Um, I got very interested in, well, what the Greeks have done, you know, two thousand years ago. And if you start to read the Chronicles of Pausanias, there is an incredible description of a sculpture there that made a sound like the plucking of a single string violin at the rising and the setting of the sun. And that opened up a whole new area to me. I've walked part of the Holy Road, which goes from um, Miletus um, through to Prien, through to Ephesus. And that was quite a revelation because most of it is still paved and as you walk along it, you can see where the sculptures went. And there was enormous avenues of sculptures about um, I think another thing that comes to mind is Mycenae. You know, I'm going back in time again purposefully. But as you leave Mycenae on that road, you look across the mountains and you see Laying down, um, Agamemnon. Now that simulacrum working incredibly well. Now why was Messina built there? Well, one theory is that it was built there because as you looked east, you saw Agamemnon, and you really do see it in that in that landscape. Um, in terms of coming up to the current, well. Um, we've had kinetic art, and it's been with us a long time. You know, I'm thinking of Calder, work responding to the most delicate of air currents. I'm thinking of Ricky is the same. Um, American, both. Um, and I think one person that we have left out, and his work is, I think, incredibly prophetic at the moment, is David Nash, who... Um, has made the ash dome, which now has ash dieback. And you see those ashtrays now, they are black. And that is real testament to what we are doing to the environment. Um, that's my point of view. I, I think it's, I don't go in for these categories at all. Um, and I don't go in for the great distinction between um, landscape architects, architects, or artists. I think we're all the same. There's a sort of zeitgeist flowing through it all, to which we all subscribe in some way or other. Um, you know, my two examples of this was Walter de Maria's lightning field, and done by an artist, but would you know, it was an artist, not a landscape architect. And then there is Walker's um, monument 
to line 11 in New York by a landscape artist. Um, I'm sorry, a landscape architect. Would you know? I mean, when you look at that monument, that is a work of art, and it's a colossal work of art. I just think we've got to be very, very careful. Um, I, I think one thing that I was aware of during the 60s but was that there was, uh, this is going back to Leeds, because I was first year master in architecture for two years at Leeds, that there was at that time an incredible mix between artists and architects. No one thought they were more special than the other. And that sharing led to some remarkable work. I think also there's this feeling in architectural training, and I was at the AA, for God's sake, do something that you'll never be able to do again. And I can remember a scheme there, which was a student had worked out that actually London was going to be flooded. This was 1970. So we did a scheme in which London was flooded. And the only way to get about London was by boat. And examiners started to look at this and they thought, actually, I'm looking at his statistics now and it is not so daft. And it wasn't long after that, and this was seen by the mayor of London, that they started talking about the Thames barrier. Well, I'm going off a bit now, but um, I just hope I've made that point. And really what I'm getting at is, I think, to talk about this distinction between artists, landscape architects, and to actually try to say land art started, well, middle of the last century. It's, it's quite spurious and it's getting us nowhere. There is certainly a historical element to this, isn't there? Um, Tom, would you like to come in at this point and just say a little bit? Because you asked a couple of questions about, um, you know, you talked about periods in history where uh, the relationship between art and, and design landscapes was very close. Well, the, the two periods in the history of art that I had in mind were the neoclassical period as it affected landscape design and the early abstract art which I mean when the, the landscape architects I've known heard talking about art and how it's influenced them what they've had in mind is sort of constructivism, suprematism, neoplasticism there seems to be something about that period that influences them but Ian, going back to the point that Andrew has just been making, what it set me to thinking about was your own proposal in your, in your book that landscape design can be monovalent, bivalent, trivalent. And I, I, I think that in that categorization, I see the artistic endeavour as being... Would, being a monovalent approach. And I'd like to ask if, if you'd agree with that. Um, gosh, it's a long time since I wrote, I wrote that. It's a very good um, book, though. <laughs> uh, yes, I think it still, I think, it's, think it holds up fairly well. Um, so, do I, so do I. So I, so I, can think of, I can think of landscape architects who pursue 
who act a little bit like a, a bit like uh, artists, shall we say? So I mean, the Martha Schwartz kind of approach, um, which may not pay much attention to environmental issues, and um, I think there are. Wasn't there a notorious example where she worked on a on a project with a village and they all hated it? Um, so you know the kind of social aspects tend to be a bit lacking. But in its own way, it's excellent, you know. Um, and then you have you can have an approach to landscape architecture which which covers any two of these fields or or the the, the trivalent idea was that you manage to bring all three together. So it's something which is uh, aesthetic. Um, something which has an engagement with community, with, with society, and also is um, environmentally sound. But, you know, you can imagine a piece of work which ticks all of those boxes, but it's still a bit dull, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, um, anyway, it was just a framework for, for trying to consider, consider what we do, really. And that, that it seemed to me that there were these three different areas um, and different... Various landscape architects would put different emphasis upon them. Um, um. Now, I've always found it to be a very useful framework, but I, th I think that it's um, it kind of goes against what Andrew was just saying that uh, they're all the same. Yeah, it seems to me. I, I don't think they're all the same. I have to say, I think so. I mean, one, one of the other questions that was asked. Um, in fact, it's your question, actually. <laughs> um, if a design has a function, for example, a uh, food crop, water storage, or recreation, does that diminish its status as a work of art? Um, so the question there is, you know, it's design versus art. It's you know what. What's, what's the, the answer? I, I don't know what the answer. Well, is. Well, I come in here. Yes, I, I just like to follow up on this idea well I think it is important to examine what the differences are I, I agree with what Andrew Stoney said about we don't need to call it land art landscape architecture on but in some ways we do I don't think the term land art or environmental art are useful because artists do not use those terms really very very few people describe themselves in environmental artists they describe themselves just as artists or contemporary artists so I think, or visual artists. Or, so I think we, we're a bit behind, you know, it's a bit backward looking to sort of try and categorise and call this certain kind of work because many, many artists who don't describe themselves as environmental artists are making work about environment, about climate crisis uh, and so on. As, as we know, like Olafur Eliasson. Um, and so the issue for me is not whether you know something is environmental art or not environmental the issue is what are landscape architects missing out on if they do not pursue landscape architecture as a experimental and innovative practice that i think artists do so artists don't have rules artists wouldn't be having these kind of discussions about trivalent uh, things they'd be saying what what are the issues? What what you know? How do I make these things? How do I experiment? How do I change perceptions? So, uh, and can I, I wrote down can the I ask a question about. Can I ask about yeah, where artistic motivations come from? I mean, do they come? Are they all entirely personal, or do they come from what's going on elsewhere in the art world? You know, what what other artists are doing, or do they come from society? 
exactly. all of those things you know you can't sorry I'll, I'll let someone else comment but um I, I i just wanted to raise a quick list more as a question see if anyone else wants to pick up on this i made a list of um sort of contrast artists tend to study or, or look at what is broken landscape architects tend to study how to fix things artists ask questions landscape architects tend to um, give answers, solutions. We see ourselves as having to give solutions. Artists study, uh, are, you know, they look at dystopian, ironic, subvertive, anti-ideals, whereas landscape architects tend to walk towards ideals, quite utopian ideals. Artists tend to make work to shock or disturb or to wake us up. Landscape architects tend to make work that uh, pleases and please come in and sort of contradict these artists because I don't think they're fixed categories. And I think so. Um, yeah, I, I'll just throw that out there because I do think there's a there's a difference there. I mean, if, if, if I could say, Trudy, you're, um, come Trudy, in. You're, you're muted. Did you want to come in? That's when I was a minority. I didn't get to speak. No, it's fine. Uh, Andrew opened one side, uh, Kathy opened the other, and it's interesting coming from a landscape architect background, you said also Ian that artists are pathfinders, and I think I went into the arts because I wanted to find my own path in and my own dialogue with the landscape that I didn't feel I was getting following just purely landscape architecture, so I spent 20 odd years doing that, not full time. I've been teaching landscape architecture, so I've had the balance of the two. And uh, I don't think we should box up who, what I do. I haven't been able to, when I write my website, I go, what am I, what do I do? I like to say just artist, um, because, um, but an artist with breadth of work. And I think that openness, so you're saying, Cathy, landscape architects do that, an artist do that, I think, the inspiration I get is from artists and also landscape architects, but those particular professionals are the crossover, the ones that I like. The ones, say, landscape architects, maybe Hargreaves, the breadth of, you know, you're placing sculptural form, you're making sculptural form, land art, space. Um, and also, I don't know, they cross over into the gallery world, but also artists that cross over into that spatial world and inspired by, but also like you had the example of Chris Drury's legend. Um, I was completely inspired by the breadth that I looked and explored the landscape from gallery artifacts to land art pieces and land art pieces that had function, his reed hearts where um, it's an earthworks and it's a reed bed and well, he's come at a completely different approach. I don't say, oh, which one? But I think the breadth is really key to keep that exploration of sight and place and solutions or not solutions, creating a message. So um, it's a difficult, this first, this first question, because I, I don't have an answer, but I do feel the similarities of the two professions. It's those people and why I like them. And I think it is to leave breadth and that openness to explore. Thank you. Andrew, did you want to come back in? Yeah. Yeah, I, thank you. I think, you know, we've got to be very careful here with this elevation of artists. Uh, how do you deal with somebody like Damien Hurst, you know, where through Saatchi, through White Cube, 
He now has a factory. He's worth millions. And it was a very, very cynical ploy about how to work the art market and that whole cool Britannia was. Um, you know, artists, artists are not always that innocent. <laughs> Neither are landscape architects. That's my point. But, you know, artists can be driven by the market, make no mistake about it. Just as landscape architects can be driven by developers. I wonder if um, we could talk a little bit more then about where the where the interesting action is, if you like, in in the art world at the moment. So I, I know that um, some speakers have been rather sceptical about this sort of story that's told about land art and environmental art and so on, and it, as a kind of progress. Um, but uh, but let's just let's just run with that for the moment. Where do you think we've got to now? What 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 are the concerns? that are interesting to artists at the moment? Are you going to say that, you know, there's a huge range, it just depends on the artist? Yeah, I'd say that. Um, but also I'd say that um, race, um, gender identity, mm. um, Diaspora, um, poverty, exploitation, mm. and 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 interestingly, uh, of course, climate climate crisis. If you, if you want to call that that environment environmental issues, I think um, I think one of the things I'd say that landscape architects are really well placed to actually make let's call it art, environmental art, and yet. They don't, uh, the Tom referred to, um, uh, not in, uh, at this point, to, to the installation at um, Somerset House. And that would have been far better if it had been done by a landscape architect. I know they did have a, you know, a lot. So uh, I, I guess what I'm saying, yes, huge diversity um, and it's constantly changing. So the kind of discourses that you get in contemporary art move on very, very rapidly. Um, it'll be uh, and are constantly changing because that's in the nature of the practice. And I wonder if it's also true for landscape architecture. Are we moving fast enough with our ideas and practices? I suspect we move much more slowly. Well, and I suspect we're always looking back at the, I mean, if there is anything in the tow rope theory, I think we're probably always looking over our shoulders at something that's already gone, you know. Uh, yeah. Can I make a quick comment, even though I'm not in this section, that um, I, I agree with Andrew that um, my initial slideshow was basically to, to set up a dialogue that you could shoot to pieces, um, because I think the mistake that landscape architects are making is thinking that art is a decorative element to place in their landscape, and they're also making the mistake within their own design fields, thinking that the landscape architecture is this tick box exercise of fulfilling environmental concerns. Um, and they're missing the trick that, that landscape architecture, as with art, is a cultural uh, operation. And that's why, as Cathy said, 
you know, contemporary themes are picking up on race and diversity and equality. Um, and it, these new agendas, non-physical agendas, but landscape architects aren't um, because they're, as you said, in they're behind the curve. Um, and so both artists and landscape architects are making mistakes. Um, you know, landscape architects are inviting artists in to decorate their landscapes in a way that is not very rigorous um, because design is a rigorous process done well and art is a very bad process if there's no rigor. Um, and they're, they're both not communicating, you know, um, on the same level. Artists have moved on to a cultural, more cultural theme, and we're, we're behind talking about the science. Um, whereas, you know, you can't change climatic issues unless you talk the language of culture, not science. So there's a, there's a sort of disjoint. Um, and so, you know, bring on the day, as Andrew said, when originally there wasn't a distinction, you know, artists were designers and di designers were artists because they all work together. Um, and then, and then the, the, what is the next thing that'll come out comes naturally, um, you know, through collaboration. Jumping ahead right. a little bit to talk about um, education. Um, we ran a project once, uh, it was landscape architecture and uh, some of the, some fine art students and um, it was to design a courtyard in the medical school at Newcastle. Um, and we gave them all the same brief um, and we put them, I think they were working in, no they weren't, they weren't working in groups, they were working in individually and um, all of the art students produced an object, you know, a piece of sculpture generally, uh, to put in the middle of the courtyard. Um, and all of the landscape, no, they were working together. I'm wrong. They were working together. Um, but there was there was no there was no crossing of the boundaries. So all of the scope, all of the fine art students automatically produced an object to put in the courtyard and all of the landscape architects produced a kind of garden in which there would be an object. None of the, none of the landscape architecture, architecture students thought about treating the whole courtyard as a piece of art. Um, and it, and the, the, the artists didn't do it either. You know, they stuck with the, their one object rather than the whole, the whole space. It was terribly, terribly disappointing. We did a project like that, but we put the artists, fine artists with the landscape architects. So there'd be a group of four of them. And yeah, no, I think we did something similar. It was and, a while ago, and I was a bit hazy about it. I think that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it wasn't necessarily. It ended up like an art installation, so it wasn't just an object, and it was very resonance of that place. Um, it was with the public arts in Wakefield in their grounds, and it was just uh, the artists, fine artists, couldn't believe how narrow the brief was, and the landscape architects couldn't believe how broad and open it was and that there wasn't this function to follow and I think just querying not just on the education side I just think on uh, the pro the commissioning process I think I don't know whether I'm in the right area to talk about this but the commissioning process I find I'm landscape architect trained I practice as an artist but I like the way in which I'm commissioned as an artist 
because there's many ways I can have a residency, which gives me much, much time to explore that watershed project you showed, Brody. Uh, that was over a few years. I got some funding to explore with scientists to get their perspective on that landscape so that I could come with an environmental installation or some kind of uh, proposal through their eyes, but also the breadth and the, the I wanted to explore a place without um, having to have an end goal. So I try and find places where I can have that commissioning process where it's a bit open. I'm in a project at the moment where I'm with a lot of engineers. I was employed as a land artist. It was quite a narrow brief, but actually it's not just the commissioning process, but it's the expectations of the client as an artist, as opposed to a landscape architect. Um, uh, they know this artist is going to do something. So actually they're very open to, um, uh, doesn't have to have this function. They do have this perception of putting something in the middle because I was left in one place around a roundabout to go, it's in the middle. I don't go commissions if say I want it there. <laughs> you know, it's about, I think the key difference is that commissioning process. And that's why I stick on the art side because I feel I come with different thoughts and approaches through that commissioning process for an artist. And sometimes I'm commissioned as an artist or a land artist or an environmental artist. When I did the one about watershed, um, it was Amios is going to do an exhibition. So the expectations as an exhibition, but it, it, I think that's key because we don't have time as landscape architects to have that luxury. And whether you have more freedom, do you think? Uh, yes, less expectations, and um, that you would have to create a functional space or a solution. But I will come up with some, and my approach uh, doesn't start with that function. So I don't know what I'm getting or, or approaching, and it's a surprise to me. And I just think it's much more open, and the work goes in ways you wouldn't expect. I think the place dictates it. Or the situation. How do other people feel about that? Uh, I'd, I'd just like to um, add something. I think Trudy, Trudy's uh, experiences are really um, important here in terms of the sense of uh, freedom, freedom one gets through an art commission where the expectations are different to the sort of formalities of a landscape design project, I think. And this, this sense of allowing place and context and, and people and memory and history to, to, to form a dialogue with you as, with us as an artist, to then come up with a response that speaks back to the place, the context, and, and maybe sometimes answers the brief. <laughs> uh, so I think it's really interesting this conversation in terms of how landscape architects perceive art and, and this idea of, you know, well, what is art? I'm not an artist, I'm a landscape architect. And I think this flags up lots of, lots of thoughts and conversations around status. I think it flags up lots of conversations around a fear of art, a fear of not losing control, a fear of, or, or a not, a misunderstanding around what the potential is for collaboration. So collaboration itself is profoundly important. And a sense that landscape architecture 
just has this really functional role to play in the world. And yet we, we, it's uniquely placed, you know, to inform and influence environments and the way people experience and interact with the environment and each other and uniquely placed to respond to and reflect back issues around social justice, around cultural issues, around climate change, around, you know, and, and, I, and I think there's a fear. There's a kind of running away from all this stuff. Oh, we, we can't deal with this because we're dealing with suds or, you know, block paving or something. <laughs> and, and yet it, we, we deal with things that grow. You know, ecology, syst natural systems, time. And, so, and I think there's, there's something really profoundly, I don't know what it is, something profoundly uh, unique but also it suffers from that at the same time. You know, there's a kind of tension and a duality there that just doesn't make sense to me. So, uh, Scott, Scott and the other educationalists, um, or past educationists, uh, um, Ian's original question was about education, and uh, I've got two, two points. First of all, what's your response to how much more should we teach art to design students at our universities and what are the barriers to that and secondly uh how are we scared to not be professionals um because it seems to me that we are scared we are trained to be professionals so we're scared to not be professionals and um where the creative the extra creativity lies is the other side of that fence and the barrier is professionalism. Um, so what's your reaction to how much more should we teach art to designers and, and that professional issue that's holding us back or not? Kathy, that seems to be right up your street. Sure, yeah. I, I just want to say I also really agree with what uh, Scott articulated that kind of you know, the, the, the whole potential of landscape architecture as an art form and, and, and the contradictions in there really well. And, and Brody, yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good question. I think we need to teach. Um, I, I think it came up in, uh, sorry, Tr Trudy raised a question before, before the event um, about what is it we're, we're learning um, when we learn creative practice or art, let's call it? And is it the processes? Is it ways of thinking? Is it um, studying other disciplines, who, who uh, other cultural disciplines? So I think we're not very good at studying other cultural disciplines and being aware of contemporary culture. We tend to just look at other... Um, other landscape architects work so I feel the answer to your question is yes very much so we need a much much more rigorous cultural and creative practice education so I think it's partly about creative practice experimental practice making doing things um, experimenting visually which is not often given a lot of time for and then there's being aware of an outward facing environment say what's going on what are what, what what are artists doing what are architects doing what are musicians doing what are um other you know what, what, what's happening in theater and so on so i think it's both um 
experimental practice as well as being aware and knowledgeable and informed of other creative disciplines. Mm. Can, I, can I concur there? <laughs> and and I, it, I think it's really, really interesting that we are having this conversation around, well, let, let, we could set aside landscape architecture per se for a moment and art per se and and and, and you know let's let's talk about the, the the sense of self um what why do students come to university anyway you know what's the intention what's their what's their purpose what do they want out of the experience what what is what's what's university for what's what's a course in landscape architecture trying to achieve in the sense of you know lib liberating the the creative spirit as well as providing some tools to go and do something useful you know there's this there's this sort of imbalance i think and and yet we are all innately imaginative that's part of what it is to be human and 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 i think there's a kind of severance of that in 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 the academic world where you 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 have to have some tools to perform a, a, a useful function, and that's that's use that's good. But there's also a, a sense of context, as as Catherine so eloquently put, you know, about about a cultural context. You know, what else is going on out there? How are other people working? What inspires us? And it might it might be uh, fine art, it might be poetry, it might be music, it might be the wind in the trees, it might be birdsong, it might be the oceans, and what concerns us, and how can we fold all these, all these things into our, in, into our teaching, but also into our learning, you know, this dialogue that's so important and, 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 and enriching. And, well, maybe um, we need to look at, I think it's really interesting. What the barriers are to doing this, um, and, and I think there are barriers within the profession. So when I wrote that book 20 years ago, it was, a lot of it was based upon interviewing practitioners. And I remember I, I, one of the questions I asked people was what they thought was good. You know, what, what, what were the examples of really good work? And somebody said, oh, I think a lot of the work we've done in reclamation is really good. As long as it's not, I forget the exact word, but so not, not um, sport by attempts at land art or something like that it was it was a sort of very negative uh, dismissal of, of any sort of artistic aspiration there it was just about reclaiming the land and doing it well um, so there's all of the, the, there are people within the profession who are not particularly interested in this subject um, and then of course we have um, the accreditation uh, tick boxes to meet you know there's an, aw an awful lot of uh, knowledge that has to be imparted to students and it's growing all the time and that um, i find um, that ian sorry, sorry. Um, that i find that over 25 years of education i added much more uh, art-based work in the curriculum much mm -hmm. more with all levels and i find it's changing because of that list or because of a list because uh we've got they've got to be ready with skills we don't make over ready landscape architects but they've got to be ready with skills and we've got to put within that this this sort of wider base of inspiration and i find it's reducing and and to understand you've got to be just inspired but you've got to practice the process 
and see the difference and then you're so, aware some of it. Some would like us, as you say, oven ready uh, or plug in, you know, you plug in the, the new landscape architect and it works. But the, um, yeah, it's employability as well. It's from the students or from the parents. They want a job at the end of it. But it's getting them to be more open-minded. So when they're in practice, they won't look back and say, that's what we want, the skills. We also want that 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 drive, the originality, the open thought. You know, that is a, a skill in itself. And it's just been dampened down a lot. And I think it depends who's in the university and the teaching and whether you do have those bodies to put that in and if you don't you won't get it so it, like you say not everybody's interested in it but it is key to expressing yourself creating places that are uh have a sense of place sensitivity looks at the current and originality of it and 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 yeah so i could go on so <laughs> just let other people I think um this this is there's a link here between sort of teaching practice and the frustrations therein around, well, the tensions about creativity and, 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 and practicality, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that, that plays itself out into, into, into the professional world, doesn't it? You know? And, and the, what do landscape architects do? You know? And what is their role in the bigger picture? And, and it's a sort of um, self-perpetuating system, isn't it? You know, it's like, this is what we do. This is how we teach what we do. And, it, and so it goes and, and, and it's a very difficult situation to kind of pause or break, pull it apart and say, well, where is this potential that we have acknowledged here today, you know, around this, this uniqueness of our profession that, 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 that is somehow special at bringing together lots of different skills, responding to context and specifics of place and local distinctiveness as well as looking at ecology and, and the connected connection between space and buildings and the, the human experience, as well as looking at how we communicate all that, you know, where does all this stuff come from? Who are we dealing with? And um, this idea of collaboration and the idea of weaving human narratives into the process, I think is really, well, I think it has vast potential and, and, you know, so it goes. Um, I'm not really sure what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that, you know, we're kind of dealing, we could deal with it academically, transform the learning and teaching experiences, but but that doesn't meet the expectations of, of, of the professional world or the institution, institutions or the institute or whatever. So, you know, this dialogue needs to be stretched and taken out. And, and, and somehow this fear of art, I mean, it's absurd, really. <laughs> this, this, yeah, this fear I, of expressing our imaginations or I, this fear of not, not being able to experiment with ideas and test like things the, and break things. Uh, and, Scott, I like the, uh, the phrase by Emilio Embaz, who's an architect, Argentinian architect. Um, he said, uh, all designers, architects, landscape architects, the whole lot, they, they should be specializing in the poetics of the pragmatic. Um, and he said, if you think that's a contradiction, then it is, and that's a good thing. Um, and, but for me, we've, we've specialized too much in the pragmatics and too much within the knowledge of the pragmatics, and we've forgotten the poetics. 
um, and that poetry is linked to art. It's part of part of art. So that when you look, as Tom will tell you, when you look back at history at um, the 18th century, when they were am almost amateur um, landscape architects and architects, I mean, Vanbrugh was just a set designer, um, they, they got it right on the money. And I know they were dealing with, you know, uh, aristocratic clients, but forget the kind of politics of that. The, what they were creating was poetic, enduring landscapes that still stand today. And my question is, are we doing that? Are we doing that as landscape architects? Are we creating poetic, enduring landscapes? Or, we, or as, as Trudy said, are we just creating this giant checklist of environmental concern, a knowledge base, as though we're robots? Um, and I, I think I've implied the answer. Um, so I'm quite concerned about the direction our education is going in. Uh, do you agree with that or not? I do agree, Brody, very much so. Uh, because uh, I think it relates to also back again to what Scott said. There's so much potential. You know, landscape architecture is an incredible discipline. It's not very well known. Um, and it's, there is so much potential for all, uh, uh, you know, art projects to be landscape architecture projects. And yet we don't put ourselves forward, say, for, to art competitions. We don't um, put ourselves forward. Um, we, we don't present ourselves with a cultural face as part of contemporary culture. And um, I don't know whose responsibility that is, but somehow... There's something that just kept perpetuating itself. And we don't seem, we, we should be the most important cultural discipline of the 21st century, given mm -hmm. what's happening environmentally. And yet somehow we're not in there. We're not in the mix. We're not, uh, not aware of us as a, a cultural discipline who has ideas, you know, e even in people's plans, local authority plans, or energy plans, you know, landscape architecture is so central to that. Uh, carbon neutral environments. Where are we? We're not. We're not visible. Is it because there's not many of us? Is it because we don't really have confidence? Is it an issue of confidence? I don't. I don't know. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. But I. I, I do. I do feel it's such a tragedy that we have hugely important things to do and make and say and yet somehow they're not out there in 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 in, in the in the contemporary imagination yeah well, tom raised in the, uh, that um the name thomas heatherwick um i've met i've met thomas interviewed him for a book actually once um one thing he's not short of is confidence you know mm -hmm. um very articulate um, you can, I can see why he's done so well and got to, got to the eminence that he's, he's reached. I mean, I know a lot of people criticise him, uh, but, you know, a fount, a fount of ideas and imagination and also very good at putting them across, I think. Thomas um, calls himself a, a maker, not an artist or a designer. Yeah. It's interesting. But he's certainly doing things that would could easily be classified as landscape architecture. I mean, this... this uh, contentious park in New York at the moment, which is this island park. Um, 
cost a vast amount of money and it's you know it's a tiny little pocket park out in the in the Hudson I think but I mean I met him in the context of the blue carpet in Newcastle um, and the whole idea of that was he was using broken bottles uh, the blue glass from bottles as a paving material and he made a great thing of this um, in the interview I did with him and I even put the the project on the cover of the book which was about construction didn't work um, it, it, didn't, it wasn't blue it didn't stay blue if you go and look at the blue carpet now it's a grey carpet and I mm. think that's you know following his career there's often been moments like this where things just just not come off or they, they haven't been they haven't been enduring in a way uh, he's he's very strong at singular concepts that win competitions and he he was a great part in winning this competition for us but then it unraveled because he said I, I want to take the major fee for the architecture because I came up with a major idea and we said well you know, it ain't, ain't going to work. What a shame. Um, and, and the ironic thing is that when we presented the winning idea to the client, the, uh, I had to end up doing the art. Um, so the, art, the, the client asked for an arts participation idea to go along with the architecture. Heatherwick refused to do the art, so I did it. Um, and that got the most applause from the client. But the client said, well done, Heatherwick. That is a great art idea. And I went, I did it. <laughs> so the question for us all is how we, how we turn this around, you know, how, how, how can well, we operate a little bit more like Heatherwick, but do it um, a bit better? Well, I think you said it yourself, Ian, you know, the one, the one thing, you know, let's not dwell on Heatherwick for too long, but, um, you know, uh, you said there's this sense of confidence and and with that there's this idea of being flexible this idea of ideas <laughs> for one thing this idea of being adaptable and and also a willingness to actually collaborate which means listening which means uh, true collaboration is about you know let's work together and see what comes out of this and, and it's about ideas and and um you know, I, I think this 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 sort of approach starts starts um, with students and having these conversations around. Well, you know, let's let's respond imaginatively and openly and willingly, in fact, to to a context or a place or a brief. And 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 I think the problem is, you know, there's there's we you know we like labels, don't we? You know, I am an artist or I am a whatever I am. And, and it's like, I don't think that helps actually, you know, let's just be what we are and, and what we are fundamentally is uh, imaginative and thoughtful and empathetic and hopefully authentic with an interest in, in the world and an interest in the human experience and an interest in how things grow and an interest in how we, how we look after things and, and, and all this kind of stuff. I think, um, We've gone so far down the line into this checklist, as Trudy so 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 tellingly said, that, that there's a, there's no room to manoeuvre. So let's chuck the checklist away and just start start with a conversation, and and look at the potential of of art, the art of design, the art of conversation, the art of of inspiration, the idea of sharing ideas and working together and responding to. The story of the place or the, 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 the you know being inspired by the smallest of things you know we look at heatherwick as a as a as an icon and an inspiration but you know 
let's put that to one side and look at the place itself and the people who live in that place and the stories they have to tell, for example. And, and I think there's, there's, there's so much enrichment in, 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 in being present, uh, being in, 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 in the, in the place itself. So, um, yeah. And I think trying to, trying to have difficult conversations is a difficult thing to do, but it sounds, sounds like that's needs to happen. And of course, being honest is really important. You know, what, what are we scared of? In fact, you know, with the sixth mass extinction and climate change as it is, you know, we're just emerging out of a pandemic, which we might not be emerging out of. You know, the fact is, what have we got to lose? Really? What have we got to lose? Uh, and, and we know systems break. We know that systems have broken. And, and I think uh, let, let's, let's be more emotive, more evocative. Let's, let's have conversations that revolve around feelings and, and not, not be scared about, about this because, because I think it, it's, it's really important that we talk about nature as an experience, not as a, not as a bloody object. You know, it's like, and, and listen to the birds singing on, and the murmuration and all the rest of it and uh, be connected, I think. Thank you. Sorry. Ian, do you, want to, do you want to kind of sum up now, Ian, and uh, elicit any last questions? I think Edward wants to come in, is that? Yes. Um, I'd just like to pick up the point about um, the 9-11 <clears throat> work um, and Peter Walker um, in New York because I was lucky enough actually to well we were going to work together on a competition well we did work together on a competition and I worked in his office for only four days or so but it was and that was the period just before he was going to be no it was the period when he was sort of receiving the commission for the 9-11 well, it was a competition of course but I suppose what's really interesting in the relationship which he has with um, Heatherwick is they're both really confident people. And um, he was, you know, in the sort of, <clears throat> in the even song of his career, he had a very efficient office which worked with him. He had about sort of, I don't know, 25 people or so, a wonderful um, uh, model shop. And he was very, very politically shrewd um, to be able to, I mean, he realized the sort of politics of working in New York was incredibly difficult. Um, and I suppose what I'm trying to say, is, what I would like to say, is I think to, to make sort of big, um, poetic, artistic statements, which are just happen to be landscape architecture, I think you you know you have to be you have to be very clever in in the politics and also maybe you, you because of our education system possibly there's an advantage if one's had a lot of experience that you leading a, an office have the opportunity of expressing yourself in a very artistic way because that can be delivered by people who are working with you whereas if you're in the early stages of just starting Possibly it's much more difficult because you're not used to the, you know, dealing with the politics of, of um, committees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So may, maybe the, um, the, 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 the opportunity or the, the responsibility of creating wonderful landscape pieces of poetry 
needs to go just as much to the you know people who are in their mature age, ages as 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 to the young who would find it possibly more difficult to deliver. Um, can I, can I thanks thanks Edward can I kind of move to the third and last stage which is quite easy um, but can can I quickly make an interjection um, on the issue of nine eleven Ground Zero. Uh, I don't know whether people realise it, but actually uh, Peter Walker didn't actually design the concept of the 9-11 memorial. That was an architect. I forget his name. Arad. And all, all Pete, sorry, what was it? Arad. Yeah, and all, correct. And all uh, Peter did was the landscape design around uh, the memorial. So that was the paving and the trees. But he designed the water. Um, he, he didn't actually. The architect designed the drops where the foundations of the twin towers were, including the, uh, the entire concept of the materials, the drops. The no, that's interesting. I I understood that he designed the, the water drop. Well, we'll 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 look into that. We'll get Tom to look into that. But my understanding, there was a bit of a bone of contention between him and the architect, because the architect said, I won the competition to do okay. the memorial, and you were employed to do the landscape. Sounds familiar story. I, I think Brody's right about that. And okay. the landscape consisted of the paving and the trees, and they were nicely done, but let's be honest, the big emotional pull is not the paving and the trees, it's the holes with the water coming down, the black stone, and, and those perforations in the names around the top where people put roses. Um, well, that's very interesting because I, because I met him after, after, well, during that competition and he told me, <laughs> he gave me his side of the story. Well, I mean, yeah, Peter Walker is, you but know. But anyway, my, my point being is confidence. Yeah, right. Peter Walker is, is a true master and, um, and, you know, perhaps we ought to just be teaching students to be way more confident, um, but not in a Damien Hirst way, um, you know, with a bit of in integrity at the end of the day. Anyway, in terms of questions, um, most of them were from uh, Tom. So I just in closure, I'd refer to Tom. Is there anything we haven't answered? <laughs> Well, I, I've got about another 122 questions, but maybe there isn't time. <laughs> well, is there, is there anything in particular that we didn't answer? I, 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 I think really the best thing would be to, hold, to plan another debate, Brodie, because there really are such a lot of issues. Yeah, OK. Um, and just lastly, Andrew, Andrew Stonier, as, as a designer but a non-landscape architect do you do you think we've made a little bit of headway into exploring the relationship between landscape design and art i think so i mean i think the issue really is uh, don't be so terrorist make a bigger make a bigger sound yeah much be bigger more, be more yeah. confident champion more yourself confident. yeah be more confident and once you're confident learn the professional bit retrospectively, not the other way around. Okay, thank you very much for that. And Ian, Ian and the speakers uh, will um, we'll edit the recording and put it on YouTube and social media.
If you'd like to make a comment on art and landscape or ask me a question, you can do so on the YouTube versions of the podcasts or on the landscapearchitecture.org.uk website, which I edit. To receive notifications, you can subscribe to the Landscape Architecture YouTube channel and or to the City as Landscape podcast series. I plan to publish the nine podcasts in the second half of 2021.